Welcome. This is Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. Welcome back to Bleacher Blums. It is Jeff Blum. I am one of the co-hosts of Bleacher Blums podcast. My other host is a man named David Tuttle. And we have been friends now for a good decade, but we have been recording this podcast now for a year. It was nice to recap that a little bit earlier with a potential business partner. We've got some stuff uh, brewing, so to speak, that we will tease a little bit later in this show, to be more precise, probably right at the end of this show. So make sure you stay tuned through this entire podcast so you can get in on some of that information. Uh, We've been working hard as this coronavirus has taken over our lives and really had an impact both socially, politically, globally, internally, and and in various different ways. But uh, we appreciate everybody who's been getting on to BleacherBlums.com and getting back and listening to some of the archives that we have on there, getting on some of the merch. There's new t-shirts, new colors, new uh, swag up there. We're working on getting some new lids because as good as David Tuttle and I look in our Bleacher Blums navy blue hat, we would like to mix it up and uh, coordinate our wardrobes around that eventually. And I know a lot of you at home would like to be able to do the same thing. So we appreciate you going to bleacherblums.com. We always read out of the mailbag. I, of course, am Jeff Blum, and I played 14 years in Major League Baseball for six different teams, and I am currently the color man for the Houston Astros. And on the other end, out there on the left coast, as I am in Houston, David Tuttle, my good friend and co-host of this podcast, who played at Santa Clara University, Team USA for years, spent some time in the minor leagues, and is now just a successful dad person, all-around great friend. David Tuttle, how are you doing, man? It's interesting times. Bummer. Interesting times. Um, yeah, you did a tease for a tease at the end of the show. That's good. Yeah, we have some uh, exciting. Yeah, you're a teaser. Um, we have some exciting new uh, information on the horizon and, uh, you know, excited to bring that to you at the end. Hey, I wanted to start today real quick with a quote that I read um, because we keep talking about the coronavirus, obviously, and we are not epidemiologists or infectious disease docs, but um, it's a quote that. Uh, is from, I'm, I'm going to have to put the link in the show notes. That's Nabil Sabio Aza. So I don't quite wow. know what that. I'm glad, I'm glad so you anyway, researched that pronunciation. That's right. Um, so, but the quote is, uh, is very uh, apropos. So let me just start with, when fishermen cannot go to sea, they repair nets. Oh, I like it. Deep. So we... Yeah, we can let that marinate all we want, but we've been talking about cabin fever and being locked in the house. But yeah, I mean, this is the time to kind of get your stuff in order. And we we always want more time, I think, in life. And I'm not going to interpret that quote for everybody. I'm just going to say we want more time to spend with our kids and we want more time to kind of get this project done around the house. And we run around like crazy. And I think, you know, hey, here's the time. It's right in front of us. And what are we doing? Right. I mean, obviously, our podcast is uh, important to us and we're going to try and get it out there but uh but this is a time that we can all kind of i think look inward and get some projects done and hopefully stay healthy and uh kind of get that family bond a a little tighter and a little stronger so that's my thought to start off the pod blummer no it's outstanding i agree with you in in considering the situation that tuttle and i are now in obviously this podcast is going to take a little more precedent for me personally because my job 
revolves around calling baseball games. And if there's no baseball games, I'm going to put Bleacher Blums at the forefront for me. And I know that Tuttle and I have uh, families that we are trying to take care of. And I know a lot of you at home are very similar situations because I'm going to ask Tuttle in a little bit about what is going on out there in California. But just to give you an update here in Texas, most specifically here in Houston, is that we're not on lockdown. There hasn't been any discouragement as far as uh, you know, permanently keeping people inside their house. Uh, Sylvester Turner, the mayor of Houston, has said as much that we are not going to go into lockdown. Uh, don't believe any of the rumors or any of the false advertising out there, so to speak. Uh, make sure that uh, you are trying to live your best life, but self-quarantining at the same time. That being said, my wife and I are trying to make the best of the situation. We've got four teenagers. And for those of you li maybe listening for the first time, I have triplet daughters who are freshmen in high school, and then I have a sophomore daughter in uh, high school. So trying to convince the teenagers that this is a serious situation is very hard to do, which I'm sure you're seeing a lot of people at spring break trying to understand the situation and being a little bit selfish. So it's been a tough process for us to try and help them understand and get them to grasp the gravity of what's going on. But it's a process. We know we have time to you know talk these things out. And it's really altered their situation. It's interesting that my kids now are, they realize how, not maybe not how much fun school is, but how important it is to the social aspect of life. And they've actually said several times now, I miss school. And a lot of it is because they do miss the interaction with their friends. And I totally understand that. And I'm, that's what I'm trying to say is you will get back to normal eventually. I'm encouraging that part of it. But right now we've got to make a sacrifice that hopefully in the long run looks like a small sacrifice in that we can't see who we want to see. We can't hug who we want to hug. We can't shake hands with who we want to shake hands with. But we have to work around the limits that are with us. And one of the things that we've kind of been doing and encouraging them to do is we, we're lucky enough to have a lot of green space out in front of our house where there's a lake, there's a, a track that you can run around, there's great trails. They've been on their bikes. We, they've gone out front and played volleyball. Granted, we're wiping down the volleyball with these industrial size, you know, wipes, Clorox wipes, but we're doing the best we can to give them some kind of normalcy or some kind of outlet outside of the house. And that's probably been the biggest benefit for us is being outside and seeing how many people are actually getting out of their house. But on the other hand, you will see groups. Everybody's in their own little pockets. And if you do interact, you're a good 10, 15 feet away. And you're kind of like, hey, how's it going over there? You know, so the, the interaction has been great. But it's also been an interesting, you know, maybe test in society, seeing how everybody's handling it. Because a lot more people are outside, but they're not interacting, so to speak. They're in their perfect little pockets. But we went next level last night. And for those of you who have seen, I think it was Step Brothers. And uh, the Catalina wine mixer, <laughs> we, we kind of, we had a social distance drinking session out uh, in front of the house yesterday in front of the lake as the sun was going down because the weather has been absolutely perfect here in Houston. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of humidity. It's been in the 80s, but the nights have been absolutely glorious. So my wife sent out a text and we sat in our camping chairs and made a rather large circle <laughs> around each other out on the grass area and uh, sipped beverages out of uh, certain drinking vessels and enjoyed what we could as far as the community around us. And it was a great time. But I would like you, Tuttle, to kind of enlighten us a little bit on what you're doing as a father, what you're doing as a parent, uh, you know, with your kids, because your kid, you, you have one in high school, I think, uh, what, Taylor's a freshman. 
in high school. So you have a high schooler and then your twins are still in middle school, but how is that going for you and how creative have you gotten? Uh, you know, I wish we got as creative as you did. Can you tell me a little bit more about the distancing? Like your neighbors were what, 20 feet down in their lawn chair as well? Like you guys all just, yeah. You know what? My wife and I obviously are having a tough time with the social distancing because we actually do love each other. So we're in close proximity, but I was sitting next to my wife and about 10, about 10 feet away to, uh, from me to my right were uh, our old neighbors from down the street. Uh, and then okay. across from us, you know, another good 10, 15 feet on a blanket were another friend from our church group. And then the kids were out playing and running around and having a good time. We had a couple of dogs out that were running and having a good time. And eventually there was another family that came over with their daughter, who I believe is eight or nine years old and playing softball. Her and her and dad picked up a softball glove and a softball and, and played catch with each other. So that's kind of what was going on. But we were it was a healthy distance between us. You, you could we had to use our podcast voices to be able to project and help, uh, you know, the conversation go. Yeah, and that's that's really how it's been out here. Um, you know, we go walk the dog at night, you know, and it's kind of like family pods walking, and then the other family's coming towards you, yeah. and one family will either step aside or cross the street. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> we had a conversation with our neighbor yesterday that was from, like, 15 feet away. Um, the, the challenge I've seen is my daughters typically go play out in the cul-de-sac. They're 10, you mentioned. So Tyler's a freshman in high school. He's 14. The girls are 10. They still play in the cul-de-sac. We have kind of a group of kids. Maybe they're a little closer, but nobody's leaving. So it's like nobody's been, I don't know, quarantined per se. In the cul-de-sac, there's only about five or six kids. But about three days ago, it was like, hey, can, you know, Braden come in the house? And we're like, no, 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 he can't come in the house, right? So the playing Yeah, that's is, a good point. Yeah, right. So everyone's kind of socializing and getting outside. But, and they're, you know, for the most part, obviously adults have an easier time keeping their distance. But the kids are running around playing on different things and doing what they need to do. But, uh, but you know, the, the distancing piece is there and it's, and it's apparent and even people that you typically shake hands with or you see, and I know that's going on for everybody. The one thing I wanted to point out, you mentioned Texas, your, was it your mayor or was it the governor that you were talking about? Um, the mayor is the one of Houston. So we're, we're a little more focused on him because I feel like local government's doing a little bit better job, but the governor of Texas has made some interesting uh, choices, but all of our supermarkets have been well stocked. Food is food yeah. is not limited at all. Uh, we've had right. to get creative with the paper towels, but you know the yeah. governor actually encouraged now uh, companies delivering alcohol if they can, <laughs> which I found pretty interesting. That's hilarious. Um, I, the reason I bring it up is because you know Texas and California are going to react to things like this differently, but our governor has like pulled some numbers out of his rear saying that, you know, I think there's 2,000 documented cases right now, but if we don't stay quarantined for the next six to eight weeks, that those cases could jump to 20 million. And I'm trying to read the article to see the math, and my wife's like, look, it's simple math. Two people, four people, eight people, you know, exponentially it increases, and I get that, but I don't know where the basis for that math comes from. And, I, and even the article had a hard time placing where uh, Governor Newsom got the, uh, got the uh, information. And I realize there's some scare tactics and there's some, uh, you know, there's some, I guess, worst case scenarios that you want to get out there so that people take this seriously. But it's really funny how you mentioned what the mayor said, like, hey, folks, let's not panic. Let's, you know, that's Texas. Like, hey, you know, none of them are epidemiologists or infectious disease docs, which I keep bringing up. I mean, I don't know if anybody really knows where this is going. They're working on a vaccine and they're doing some things 
to um, obviously keep us from spreading it. But man, that that number is scary when you say, all right, 2,000 people currently uh, are infected in California, or maybe the number's up to 18,000, and we could get to like 20 million people. I mean, there's only 35 million people in California. So, you know, I don't know if that's a little fear mongering or a little panic uh, kind of setting in, but uh, it sounds like at least your mayor, so the governor's maybe more aligned, but it sounds like at least your mayor is <laughs> is in place to, uh, to, you know, use his voice of reason and, you know, kind of take this in perspective. Yeah, and that's the thing. I, I agree with you in the sense that, you know, the, the, it's so hard this day and age to try and figure out what information you can take for valid uh, proof because there are so many differing opinions. Obviously, we know the political landscape is a mess and everybody's going to try and get their narrative out there. But I think that's where it kind of starts to filter down into the local governments seem to be a little more prepared or a little more on what message they want to get across. And it even gets into, you know, the way a parent runs their household and you've got to be the filter for your kids and the information you have. And I think it's great that everybody is out there you know, reading as much as they can, doing as much as they can, trying to stay in contact with what, uh, what factual evidence is out there, because that's probably the hardest part of this whole situation is that there are going to be questions that we literally don't have answers for because we've never seen anything like this. And a lot of it has to do with math, science, speculation, what ifs. And that's where I think it's really tough for us. But I think the burning question after watching what you've been doing on Twitter, Tuttle, is are you okay with the toilet paper situation, man? Do we need to make an a, expedited emergency shipment to California for your uh, poop tickets? I actually just wanted to see what they uh, what they would put <laughs> what they would put out there. I mean, I just think it's funny, and I and I did listen to a psychologist. We're all good on on, on toilet paper, and I think to your point <laughs> earlier, the uh, yeah, whew, this this the um, the supermarkets are stocked. You know, toilet paper seems to be, you know, I guess regulating. It doesn't seem to be everybody rushing out still. But of course, I haven't been out in three or four days because we're well stocked. So I, I guess I don't know what that situation is. But I, I listened to a psychologist on TV or psychiatrist, and uh, he had some insight into all of this stuff, how it none of it really makes sense, right? So it's funny to see somebody grabbing the toilet paper and gosh, oh my God, they got three cases of toilet paper. What do we you know, maybe we need toilet paper too. And he's saying that in situations like this, especially what we just talked about, some of the numbers that don't line up or don't make sense and we don't understand um, where this is all going. He said that there's some normalcy in things that may not seem normal in the sense that um, there doesn't have to be an explanation or justification for it. It just is, right? It's just a truth. And there's definitely was a run on toilet paper in our neighborhood. It sounds like that was nationwide. Um, and there doesn't have to be an explanation because during the time for those people, it certainly seems normal. And I thought that was a good explanation that made that actually made sense to me. Um, but that didn't uh, that didn't, I guess, get me on the bandwagon to rush out and get toilet paper. The, the one thing it did do is we're eating every meal in our house and like getting the fridge stocked and defrosting stuff and like making chilies. And my wife made the best carnitas yesterday. Um, and we're probably going to eat that. So we had like, you know, carnitas last night. Well, we have like a carnitas bowl for lunch today. And we've got all kinds of good stuff is the one thing is now I'm thinking, you know, gosh, we're eating all this food. It looked like it was so stocked like two or three days ago. And now it's like dwindling. Like, is there going to be more food? And there is a little bit of like looking over your looking over your fence kind of at the neighbors to see what they're doing and see if 
they're hoarding food or if they're hoarding toilet paper, what, you know, what do we need to do here? Because it is uncharted territory and we've touched on that a bunch. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's another difference in, I mean, psychology or sociology in between. I think it's interesting to hear the California aspect as opposed to the Houston or the Texas aspect, because we're down here in hurricane zone. So preparing for worst case scenarios like a hurricane is not foreign to everybody down here. I think there's already a stockpile. I know we've got gallons of water and canned food kind of in a section of our pantry and our garage where we can go, okay, literally if all hell breaks loose and the zombie apocalypse like we feel like is happening now is upon us, we'll be able to eat some canned food. You know, we, we'll get by, but that it's not a hoarding mentality, it's just a preparation mentality, I think, that is going on. But we're, I'm very thankful for what's going on here in Houston. The HEB, which is our local supermarket we talked about, I hate to keep plugging them because I know Kroger's and Costco and everybody are doing that. Well, if HEB wants to sponsor us, please reach out. <laughs> or as um, Tuttle calls them, HEB. Yeah, if, if the HEB wants a little pub, you know, send us a check. We'll, we'll gladly put that out there. But local companies are doing a good job in the sense of being prepared and kind of being ahead and having those uh, shelves stocked for everybody. And I also think I feel terrible. And I know you're going to get into this later as far as baseball is concerned, but I, the economics and the business aspect of this whole coronavirus and quarantine has got to be bone crushing. So I think what's great around Houston, and I don't know what's going on out there in California, is that local local companies are actually providing opportunities to drive by, pick up curbside delivery, uh, you know, there's even delivery, like I talked about, the governor, Abbott, said that you can deliver alcohol to homes if you want to. But, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't say anything about St. Arnold's. They've been a great uh, help to our podcast, but they're also doing great for the community. And they've offered a unique package of combos to be able to send out to people or come in and pick up, I should say, uh, you know, pizza and a six pack, a couple of burgers, fries and a six pack. So they've kind of incorporated a couple of menu items to go out there and get it for 20, 30 bucks. So kind of do a good job of getting in there and investigating a little bit what your local community uh, food places can do for you because there's opportunities where you can take advantage of that, stockpile some of your food at home and use and get the money, try and get the money back into the community, which I think is great. So go to starnold.com, check them out. They've got a menu on there. They've got drive up service. And of course, they've got great beer that also helps you get through some of these tough times. But uh, mailbag, people have been getting in on our mailbag till I know there's some tough questions in there, I think. Yeah, so the mailbag is uh, hot and heavy. I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if they're tough questions per se, but we're, uh, we got some inf interesting information. Um, let's start here with, um, Sean F. I believe Sean F has written in before. Maybe not. Um, it doesn't matter, I guess. Now we're starting to get repeats. We're getting newbies. We're getting all kinds of stuff. We won't again, get to all the, uh, all the, uh, pieces that we got, but, uh, just picked a few. Otherwise this podcast would go on for hours and hours and we'll save them for the next time. So, um, Sean F wrote in. I've really enjoyed your podcast. Glad you're trying to post more frequently while we all twiddle our thumbs waiting for the return of baseball. After hearing Corey on the latest podcast, it made me think it would be interesting to hear your wives' perspectives on your time in the game. What was it like for them and your families as you moved around in the minors or changed ball clubs? So I can answer that. I didn't have a wife when I was playing baseball, so that made it really easy. Now, personally, it was challenging to... Um, 
you know, we've talked about this before to be packed up and moved either be the trade deadline or a new spring training home or in the middle of the season going up or down, getting promoted, um, you know, to another level, all that stuff is always kind of uh, a challenge, but being that I was single and being that it was easy to, uh, you know, kind of follow suit. And I never had some of the challenges that I think you went through being traded and having a family. Yeah, it's been a little bit different. I met my wife when I was in AAA, so she actually had the opportunity of being my girlfriend through AAA and understanding how hard the minor league life can be. And then she eventually moved up to the big leagues with me, and we are currently married after 19 years. But yeah, she's done a very good job, and I th it, it's amazing. You know, that I know the divorce rates are off the charts. It's not the easiest thing to be in such a, a glorified position as a ball player, and then all of a sudden come back to reality of, of everyday life. And it makes it kind of tough sometimes, but I think it's a great idea. I think it's just a matter of getting my wife comfortable to, you know, hearing her own voice, which is always interesting. And I think those are great stories. And we have actually tossed around the idea with Corey to be able to do that. And I wouldn't be opposed if Tuttle sent me video or, uh, sent me audio of him and his wife having a conversation on how they handle certain situations or maybe reflecting on, you know, the great stuff that Tuttle did on the baseball field. I think that would be a fun conversation to get out there and have people listen to. And at the same time, trust me, I'm, I'm coercing my wife as best I can to get on this podcast and talk about some of those things because I know Tuttle has been writing, you know, probably has a pretty healthy list on his phone. I have a healthy list on my phone of stories that maybe we'll get out there if we need the content. But I think that is a, another aspect that doesn't get talked about enough or given enough respect is the other half that has to deal with trades, releases, family, moving, and things like that. Great, great call. Yeah, great question, Sean. And and I will say that um, last week when Corey was on the podcast, I mentioned to my wife, um, I don't know if she listened to the podcast, but I said, hey, Corey came on and, you know, updated The Bachelor. My wife's like, oh, I'm so over The Bachelor. My wife doesn't watch The Bachelor anymore. But she said, you know, you guys should either have a segment or we could have a discussion. Um, my wife brought up like uh, deal breakers, like when you're dating someone, like, do you have deal Ooh. breakers? It's like, and I was like, oh, that's a great topic. So again, to your point, I just thought I'd throw that out there that it it sparked a conversation in our household to think, oh, we could either invite them on or at least um, pick their brain about what these things are and kind of use them as topics as, as we move forward. So it's there's certainly plenty of, um, I don't know, plenty of ideas and plenty of light bulbs that came out of just having Corey on the podcast last week. It's great. Nice. All right. Next one, uh, Ann M. First, I have listened to the first six podcasts and the last eight or ten. I came late to the party. So she went back and listened to six. Overall, I really enjoy listening to y'all discuss various topics. However, I'm concerned about Blum's obsession with The Bachelor. Eh. <laughs> I had to quit listening at the end of 60 because I felt like I was beginning to lose IQ points. I've never been that bored that I had to watch that stuff. I hope that sports will resume soon. All right. I would also like to note that Tuttle is not a real coffee snob or he would only grind enough beans to make a pot of coffee just before he brews it. Blummer, please give him a grinder for his birthday or Christmas so he doesn't have to go all over town to find a free one. Burr grinders are the best. Love the podcast overall. It is mostly entertaining and it has great insights into how MLB works. Your peaks into family life are very entertaining. And I came from a family of four kids and raised two of my own. And most of your stories could be my stories. Some things are just universal. Keep up the great work. Anyway, so great. I mean, that's a great email. Good story. The reason there's a, I had a selfish reason for reading that is I get a chance on the podcast to clarify. So 
David Tuttle has a grinder. I actually have uh, an espresso maker that I'm kind of a snob about. I like the espresso maker. And um, so I actually weigh the beans every morning, pour them in the top of the grinder, grind the beans, press it, and push the espresso out. So all taken care of from the coffee snob perspective there. What I don't like to do is use that grinder because it's hooked to the uh, espresso machine. It's a built-in. I don't like to use that to change the size of the grind to like a drip roast or a, you know, a pour over coffee, grind it all there and then put it into a container. So the reason that I go out and do that is it just, I have three or four bags of coffee. I want to take one and make it a drip coffee. And so, you know, yes, I can get a bean grinder and do that. And I probably will based on all the feedback I've gotten, but I just wanted to be clear that I do have a grinder and I do weigh the beans. So I don't know. That may I think that makes me a snob in most classes. And I'm fine with that. It sounds like somebody has a grinder issue with my bachelor <laughs> updates, but thank God that season's <laughs> over with. Moving on. Moving on. There you go. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, no, not that one. Not that one. All right. One more for the mailbag. One more from the mailbag. Um, this one's interesting and a little more in depth. So this is from Aaron S. Aaron says, anybody with some legal knowledge of MLB contracts have insight on how players will be paid in the event we don't have a season? Not trying to be a downer, I'm just curious. I mean, with no season, there's no revenue owners anticipated having, so how do they even pay the players? What are the ramifications from a TV deal standpoint? For instance, will Springer be a free agent next offseason? Will the Yankees only get eight actual playing seasons out of Garrett Cole? I'm curious and haven't found any good info on it. Great question. I'm going to defer that to you, Blummer. Yeah, I appreciate that because I've actually had the same questions and I'm still fortunate enough to have an agent that I'm able to have these questions and conversations uh, with and answered. And to be honest, I haven't gotten a definitive answer because I believe right now a lot of the conversation between the union, ownership, and Major League Baseball are a lot of those questions. How are we going to fulfill these contracts? How are we going to fulfill the needs of the fans? And if there is, they have to deal with the question of what happens if there is no baseball this season and how much of a, how much of an abbreviated season counts as a major league season, because you're right. There's a lot of money on the line. There's a service time on the line for players. They're losing that and their, and their daily rate of play. Most contracts can be, you know, they can be salary driven, but at the same time they're paid per day kind of thing. That's how they work out their contracts and you do get paid for six months out of the year as a professional baseball player. Obviously, you can structure your contract differently, but for the majority of them, you get paid between April and uh, through from starting April 1st through the end of September. Um, you don't get paid in spring training. You get meal money in spring training. But there's, those are some serious logistical questions to be answered, and I think that's what a lot of negotiating is going on right now. So there's not a definitive answer to that question. I know that inside of Major League Baseball uh, contracts, and this was one of the interesting things that I've learned in the conversation with my agent is, is there's something called a God clause or an act of God clause that allows your contract to, I don't know if it's nullified, but at least be restructured in the event that there is an act of God. And unfortunately, in this situation, they're looking at that structuring of the contracts right now under that act of God clause because 
We couldn't see this coronavirus coming. You can see strikes coming. You know, this is very similar to uh, maybe in a, in a little bit of a way as far as uh, how they, they manage time off as far as, uh, you know, Main, you know, making up games was in 2001 with the terrorist attack in two, on uh, 9-11. So we pushed a week of games back towards the end of the season. We accomplished the integrity of the season and maintained the playoffs. So everybody got paid. And I think in the past, what has happened with guys is, you know, the strike-shortened season in 1994, it would be interesting to go back and see how many of those contracts with the last part of the season from August through the playoffs got wiped out you know, did owners go back and re refund those contracts or pay back what was lost at the end of the two or the 1994 season? And that's where a lot of questions lie. I'm not sure what that is, but I know there is a clause, like I said, the act of God clause that allows the opportunity during extreme situations like this, where the product is not on the field to possibly restructure the contracts. And that might be where we're at right now, as far as the negotiations, because that's going to have to come out. Yeah, I mean, uh, these are great questions. And I thought, you know, when he, I actually thought when I read that question that you had the answer from a players association or a players union perspective. And like you said, it doesn't seem to be out there. There's two things that you brought up that are really interesting um, uh, that I have some thoughts on. One is 9-11. So uh, I was listening to another podcast with Malcolm Gladwell on it. And he was a guest and he was saying that a guy named um, Silverstein, I think Larry Silverstein, owned the uh, Twin Towers at 9-11. And this is the we're talking about the legality and why there are some questions. You're talking about the God clause and things like this. I mean, there are so many things that lawyers do, and they get paid a lot of money to do this, and they negotiate the contracts, and they look at the fine print, and they put all these things in place. Well, when the towers uh, went down, when the planes hit the towers, um, they didn't know it wasn't in the contract. They started looking through the insurance contracts, whether to count that as one event right? One plane hitting mm -hmm. one tower and then one plane hitting the other tower. Is that one event that knocked down both towers or is that two separate events? If it's two separate events, he gets paid twice. He gets paid from his insurance twice, which, I mean, oh, we're wow. talking about billions of dollars. And this isn't something that he was necessarily fighting for. You know, it's not like, hey, I need both, you know, these two events, but it's actually a discussion. And I believe when we pay bring it back down to what we're talking about, these contracts, in the Players Association, I mean, Act of God is a very all-encompassing, as you said, kind of like clause they have in the contract. But I don't think people considered the coronavirus or a global kind of shutdown or shelter in place when they were writing up these contracts. You know, they were thinking of things that you mentioned, like strikes and or, you know, I mean, we're not thinking of the Black Plague or, you know, like I said, a terrorist attack. Um, some sort of interruption like that, I mean, you know, maybe a, a structural issue at the stadium, things like that are different than what we're talking about now. And I just thought that part was interesting. The other piece I want to bring up there, because we're talking about, oh, gosh, is, you know, Garrett Cole only going to get paid eight years versus nine years or whatever that is, um, it, the minor leaguers. And you and I talk about this often because, um, you know, that was me most of the time. I mean, I got paid for six months out of the year, but I didn't get paid um, what the major league guys are getting paid. And as you mentioned, I think uh, off air or um, on another podcast, there were, you know, there were, I worked all off season, you know, I had jobs and whatever, but uh, you couldn't really negotiate any sort of payment in there. Our meal money was pretty insignificant. And uh, anyway, so we're talking about these guys that are making millions of dollars and how they're going to get paid out and what their service time looks like. We know very well that the minor leaguers are not going to get anything during this time. 
They're going to go home, shelter in place. Now they can't work. And that's going to be another kind of challenge in here. I mean, we're, it's, it's weird to hear all the articles about this, the stadium workers. And, you know, obviously that's an important facet to this and an important piece, but gosh, the, you know, the stadium workers are, you know, I mean, the minor league guys, they're not going to get anything. They don't have anybody fighting on their behalf. And that'll be another interesting dynamic to this whole, uh, this whole situation, this whole, you know, set of circumstances we find ourselves in. Yeah. And, you know, it's one thing to go out there and get paid, but to tackle that other part that you just brought up about Garrett Cole, George Springer, some of these guys that have the potential to be free agents, you know, there's two sides to that story. The player wants their money. They want their service time. And owners, on the other hand, want to be able to retain the services of their players. So if a season does get wiped out due to something like this coronavirus or whatever's happening right now, and ultimately the decision is to boycott or void the season, you know, I would imagine the owners would fight to keep those players as long as they can under the current contract because they probably figure if the product's not on the field and I'm not paying the product, it doesn't count towards, you know, the finality of the contract or take a year off that contract. It would probably extend these guys a little bit longer and stay with their team through the through the course of that contract because everything is based on on-field play, but it would have to be an agreement between owners and players to say, okay, we can play 100 games. Will that be enough to suffice a full payment of a contract and fulfill a full year of service for a contract too? Yeah. Well, I do know with colleges, right? Aren't they, they, the colleges have kids that are, they just automatically redshirted every kid in a spring sport or in all sports, something like that. I mean, you know, I mean, that's, that's, Hey, here you go. You guys are up for another year. You can come back next year and, and do your sport. And I just think, I mean, these are conversations that I think that's the overall point of this, that we didn't know we would be having. And that's the reason we're having them now is because these are all things that are kind of up in the air and things that need to be decided probably by people in a boardroom uh, at a much higher pay pay grade than us. Yeah, higher pay grade, but maybe not a higher level of uh, intellectual (laughs) status. No, no, no. No, no, for sure. No, but that's right. Yeah, I don't want to push that off like, hey, they know what's best. But that's that's the other part is like hopefully they get some not just some interested parties, but some intelligent parties in there that actually have some skin in the game to kind of figure out what the best solution is. Because like you said, we're we're in uncharted territories. I mean, that's we talked about our neighbors earlier. That's the one thing that I keep coming back to in the conversations that I'm having with you and my neighbors and other folks that uh, that I come into uh, distance contact with. Um, you know, the, the conversation is around. Um, you know, this is something, you know, we haven't seen and our parents haven't seen. I mean, maybe since the Great Depression, um, yeah. but even then the Great Depression had a lot to do with the financial aspect. But, you know, you could go out and, you know, shake your neighbor's hand. So, like I said, I think we're just in un- uncharted territory. Yeah, we are. And I hope that everybody's getting through it. I hope that you can enjoy the fact that David Tuttle and I are with you in this and everything. We are we are quarantining. We're not uh, any special environment. I mean, we're, we're taking social distancing to a whole nother level that we're Skyping all of our uh, podcasts, but we're doing our best to get the content out there to you all. We appreciate you listening. Uh, and these are strange times. Just know that you're not alone. Follow uh, Tuttle on at Real David Tuttle. I've seen you responding and talking to a lot of people out there in the Twitterverse. I've been trying to do the best I can on Instagram. It's been fun. I'm maybe losing my mind a little bit, but that's part of the fun of this whole thing is to let you guys know and all of you at home that we are with you. We are 
Uh, shoot, I saw something the other day on Comedy Central that hashtag alone together, whatever the hell that means. We are, we're in this together and we're all doing it our own special way. We're just trying to provide you enough entertainment, maybe for 45 minutes to an hour where we can kind of give a little bit of a release until sports do get back. And that being said, I just want to give a little bit of an Astro update because there might be a little bit of a silver lining in this whole uh, delay or hiatus in the season is that Justin Verlander had a lat injury and then all of a sudden had uh, surgery on his groin. So I didn't know those two were connected. I learned something new about the anatomy today. No, I'm just kidding. But he had <laughs> surgery. He had surgery on his groin. Hopefully he has time to heal. Uh Lance McCullers Jr. I think is interesting. We talked about innings pitched limits for him and Jose Urquidy. So now if you have a condensed season, you may get a Lance McCullers for a quote-unquote full season, which would be awesome to have him in the rotation. I think that's an interesting aspect. And then the big news, I think the really big news, and I, and I wonder what took so long to do this, is out of the Boston Red Sox camp, no, it's not about the sign stealing. It's about Chris Sale. He's going on the shelf and getting Tommy John surgery. And I think that that was something he kind of saw before we heard about this hiatus. But now knowing that the season is going to be compressed, so to speak, if not, uh, you know, longer, what a great opportunity for him to go out and get Tommy John surgery. You're not going to pitch a whole season. But I'm also, as a player or an agent, wouldn't it be great before they finalize everything if you did go on the shelf and went on the 60-day DL that maybe your contract gets paid out because of insurance reasons? Might be a salty veteran move, just saying. But uh, that's the big news around the league. And uh, I don't know how you feel or if you have anything to interject on that, but I was actually going to go back into what I thought might be a possibility because we saw Joe Madden on an L.A. Times piece mention what Tuttle and I were talking about last podcast about if it is a shortened season, how could we speed up the process a little bit? And I think the first thing is make sure that everybody in Major League Baseball on a roster doesn't have the COVID-19. They're healthy and they're able and willing to go out there and play a game in, a, in an empty stadium. Get a skeleton broadcast crew, a couple of cameras, get the two teams out there. Let's play this game, put the local broadcasters out there, and let's show everybody some baseball. We know everybody's stuck at home uh, uh, fiending for something other than Netflix or you know what their next streaming service or caught up on their friends you know season 38 or whatever it is and get out there and play some baseball. I think it would be a great time for baseball to kind of reintroduce itself as that healing process starts to happen around the country and at least get some distraction on TV for three, four hours a night. What are your thoughts on that, Tuttle? Yeah, well, I think it's, I mean, I think it's a great idea. And and I will say that, you know, I mean, Joe Madden may be a listener to the podcast because you had jumped on that solution early on. I, you know, like I said, the logistics, I mean, all that stuff, you know, kind of, you know, I get caught up in the weeds when I start thinking about it. But in terms of an overall good feeling and an overall um, uh, an overall kind of introduction back into baseball and real world kind of uh, interaction, I think it would be a fantastic idea. Like I said, I don't know how they quarantine everyone. And I don't know how they I mean, are they going to test everybody every day? I saw yeah. Sean Payton tested positive yesterday. Kevin Durant has the coronavirus like you start hearing about these different big people and obviously, you know, they're fairly young and healthy and I don't think it's going to, um, you know, maybe cause any issues, but obviously, I mean, these, these are high, high profile folks that are, you know, that are getting the coronavirus. I haven't seen many baseball players got it. I, I, um, mm -hmm. I saw Donovan Mitchell, right. I guess his dad's involved in the front office with the Mets, the, the Utah jazz player that does have it. And they said his dad didn't have it. 
Um, anyway, so I, I mean, I think, so I think you touched on this, I guess is my point. The logistics might be harder to work out than, than just throwing it out there, but I also think it could be a valuable solution to kind of getting us back to some sense of normalcy. And, you know, if we're gonna start uh, interacting with folks again, we're probably gonna have to do it on a, uh, you know, on a kind of a, on a scale, right? Something that's scalable that you can, that you can work back into. No, I completely agree. And if it is a short season, uh, or if the season is shortened, there's a couple of things I'm just going to throw out there. Take interleague out of it. Just keep it within the American League, National League. Go. And then get to the playoffs. Maybe expand a postseason team earlier than you had anticipated so you get a little more uh, interest that way. And then when you do get to the playoffs, put the local broadcasters on all postseason games. Just let us cover it. Take the national uh, people out of it. Let the locals go with it, and we'll have a big-time blast. Of course, that's a little selfish on my part. Yeah, a little selfish, but, you know, rightfully so. We, I mean, we obviously uh, ranted against that last year in general. You know, when you get the uh, the five-game series or the first seven-game series, I mean, you know, some of these guys are great, you know, and we've talked about Joe Buck a bunch, but, like, Smoltz, he kind of does his homework, and he knows some of the guys. And But, man, I just, you know, you guys just have so much inside inside knowledge about what's going on and who's hot and who's not. And, you know, there's there's so much so much better backstory, you know, you and Julia and, and, and TK just have so much insight into that specific ball club. And most people like to hear their hometown group anyway. As a matter of fact, you know, they do those channels. I think during the NCAA tournament, you can hear the, you yeah. know, you can hear the Duke broadcast or the North Carolina broadcast or the national broadcast. They give you those options. And that's certainly something that either, if it isn't on the horizon, should be coming soon. So I, I, selfishly, I would like that at least to be an option. You know, if I got tired of listening to you, mm -hmm. then I could turn over to the, you know, the national one. I completely agree. I think that's great advice from David Tuttle. And I think you being selfish, me being selfish, we're going to head into a favorite part of this podcast that I think a lot of us really enjoy and like to get to. It is called What'll Tuttle Say? Cool. Thanks, Plumber. We're rolling along here. Um, I will say I'm going to start off with a question. Do you know who is not self-quarantining? That would be my landscaper. The gardener is out there with the blower <laughs> just wow, just getting getting after it. That's but all there, right. That's because right now, the... yeah, but that's all right. Because right now I think that everybody in my house knows I'm doing a podcast and is just loud as hell behind me. So it's awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got the same. I got the same thing going. I got we we got all kinds of stuff, but we're coming to you, folks, because we're uh, we're we're willing to fight through all this stuff for you. So my topic today, haven't been out in the the world, uh, so I don't have a whole lot of customer service complaining to do, which is typically <laughs> what I say here, and you know, kind of just to kind of tighten up everybody's attitudes, behaviors towards each other. But uh, I was going to bring up the uh, the shows I've been watching. I'm I'm always an HBO fan, so we were talking about streaming earlier and getting locked into TV. Um, so I watched two documentaries this last week. One was uh, Chernobyl, Ooh, and good one. that is that takes that takes some stomach to watch, but super super interesting and very very entertaining. And gosh, you know, obviously a little disturbing too. So I would recommend Chernobyl and then McMillions, which I'm not quite through, but McMillions is boy, it's got me cracking up. <laughs> Have you heard of McMillions? Have you watched that one, Blummer? Um, I, I've, I've watched the first episode, but it's something I'm going to have to watch on my own because my, my kids have not latched onto that. 
And I will take your recommendation on that one, actually. Yeah. So so let me just say, because the kids didn't live through it, you know, uh, Addie, my wife doesn't, she didn't love, she liked the first episode and then they brought in some of the mob stuff in the second one. But I grew up, my brother and I, we would have like Big Mac eating contests and French fries and like we would just get after it at McDonald's. And it was kind of part of the American American upbringing at that time. Uh, this is before I altered my diet to be healthy. But uh, we just, I mean, McDonald's was something we did after games and things like that. And the Monopoly, I mean, I remember those years very, very well. This is kind of like us reminiscing about like either PED era or anything else that, you know, kind of hits home with us and not with the children. But man, that Monopoly game was something that actually encouraged you to go out like, hey, can we just go get a chocolate shake at McDonald's? We can get some Monopoly pieces. So that was really something that we... uh that we kind of enjoyed in our childhood was when they brought that game mm-hmm. out. I saw in this documentary when they brought the Monopoly game into McDonald's, whatever yearly, annually, and then they started doing it biannually. That they, they um, the sales went up forty percent at the restaurant. Jeez, forty percent at McDonald's, which is crazy. So anyway, for those yeah. of you who don't know, McMillions is basically a documentary about um, somebody and some entity rigging the game that all the million dollar winners and all the automobile winners were all related. They were on one (laughs) family tree and they started the documentary by putting the odds of that happening. It's like one in 20 million to win at all. And then if you had like three members in your family win three grand prizes, it was like, you know, it was astronomical. It got into the, you know, hundreds of trillions, you know, it was just impossible. That's the point, but I I find it entertaining. And I, and I will just say, I'm not just, uh, throwing these out there. Chernobyl is good. McMillions is good. I tend to like documentaries, but the HBO family of shows typically are really good. I mean, mm-hmm. if you haven't seen The Wire, I know The Wire's way back in 2002. That's a good show. That's on there. Um, comedy shows. Veep is good with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. That's a little on edge as well, though. Um, but there, you know, HBO just has so many. True Detective is another one if you haven't watched that. So I have some really good shows lined up on HBO that... Uh, you know, and you can, I think you can just buy the the streaming service. Mm-hmm. It's like 14 bucks a month if you don't have cable or if you don't subscribe to it. So I guess what will Tuttle say today was really about what I'm watching. And um, I don't know, Blummer, I, I don't know if you have any insight on shows no, you I want do. to contribute. Okay. No, uh, we're not going to do Bring Blum it. and Blummer because I was actually going to do the same damn thing. Uh, so I'm just going to pick we don't it. talk before. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? No, I literally did because I wrote down in my notes. I'm like movies, music, books. You know, how are we entertaining ourselves? And we we have the luxury of, you know, instead of being in World War II era where you've got to go to the you know go to the factory and start making bullets and jeeps, or going you know overseas to go fight. We we have to fight this whole situation by getting on the internet, streaming music, streaming uh, video, uh, you know, listening to books on tape. And that's kind of where I was in. So we're not going to do Blum and Blummer. I'm going to piggyback on what Waddle Tuttle will say. And no rebuttal here, just complete agreement on the fact that HBO has got some great shows. And I totally agree on Chernobyl. I think it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating, geez, uh, just chain of events, pardon the pun, that happened out there between the government and the actual physical radioactive issue that they were dealing with. But I think it's also very intriguing considering the times that we're living in right now and the spread of radiation, the spread of a virus, how do they control, you know, there's so many facets that were so incredible in watching that. And you're right, it was very, 
It was very well shot, sinister, scary as hell, sucked you in. I thought they did a great job. Uh, I grinded through the Game of Thrones last year, and I thought that was fantastic. But my wife and I have actually tried to watch some of the Oscar-winning movies, and we've gotten through Parasite, Ford versus Ferrari, Jojo Rabbit, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And you can hear them in the background how excited they are about it <laughs> but, but, uh, because everybody's in the house. But uh, those are some great movies. I mean, every one of them had a different aspect to them. I thought Parasite for being a Korean-made movie was fascinating. And I love the quote that the uh, director had. You know, if you can get past reading on the bottom portion of the screen and getting through the subtitles, you're going to watch a really good movie. And it was a highly entertaining movie. Ford versus Ferrari, just the old-school Americanism, you know, exceptional. Let's go out there and just beat their asses and build a bigger engine. You know, I thought that was fantastic. Uh, Jojo Rabbit tackled, you know, the whole the Nazi and, you know, thing like that, uh, that they were going through. And I thought they did a fantastic job of really, not, I don't want to say dumbing it down, but they did a very good job in putting it in a kid's mindset and explaining how horrific the whole situation was. And then once upon a time and uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, I thought was fantastic. It was, it, for me, it wasn't the quintessential Tarantino movie, but it was a very well thought out and very well shot and scripted and acted movie for me. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I want to know what your thoughts total, because we talk about music and concert venues, much like sporting events are getting shut down. I haven't investigated this at all, but I've seen that there's more and more virtual concert ideas being spread around out there. And I find it kind of fascinating because I, on my Apple TV, I actually have, I have a, uh, there's a Metallica movie they came out with that I've actually downloaded and watched frequently. I have several Chevelle concerts downloaded so I can watch them play. Is that something you would be interested in? Or I think it's kind of fascinating that they're trying to get creative in how they get their product or the content out there. Yeah, you know, that's funny that you bring that up because I have a, an immediate response that just comes to my head is I like certain things, but the rest of the family would be like, what are we watching a Chevelle concert for? Right? So that's definitely yeah. something I'm interested in. But maybe when we're out from under quarantine, I won't have the interest in it because I'll be able to go out to the live venue, but my kids will be out of the house and so that I can actually watch it. So there's this like push and pull in there where it's like, you know, my wife's like, are you watching the Foo Fighters Super Bowl concert again? <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, I like that. And the, and the Foo Fighters actually have a documentary as well that's really good. It talks about from the beginning of, um, you know, how they started and they changed some guys and how, anyway, after Nirvana kind of, and that's a two-hour movie. I have that downloaded. I'll watch that every once in a while. Um, there is a thing on NPR called Tiny Desk Concerts. Mm -hmm. um, you can go to NPR.com and see that. And it's uh, kind of a an acoustic, like, uh, dumbed-down version or stripped-down version of um, certain musicians, um, they've had some great musicians in there. There's a guy language, uh, language aside called Rex Orange County. I thought he was an African-American guy. <laughs> he does like two or three songs in there. He's awesome. So you can get on NPR.com. They have those tiny desk concerts that are fun, but yeah, I'm, I like virtual music. It's just, you know, if I put a virtual concert on the TV downstairs, I'm sure to scare everybody about into the closet or scare everybody <laughs> upstairs. So I'm into it, and I would recommend it for folks, especially if you have the house to yourself. But obviously, in a situation like this where we're all yeah. locked in with our families, it makes it a little more challenging. But I, I, I like it, and I think to your point, um, what's what does that mean for the future? Like, if somebody does mm -hmm. this successfully, yeah. right? It's kind of like a pay per view. Like, hey, 
we're going to show, you know, we're going to have our show live in, you know, Istanbul or, you know, in, in, in London, and you guys can be there for 50 bucks. Like, would you sign up for that? Because I think similar to my career, my, um, I know I keep talking about being in sales and medical sales, but telemedicine is becoming really big right now that these virtual concerts and these virtual kind of experiences as we Skype and zoom our calls, these are going to kind of become obviously a way of the future. They're already here, but I think we're going to see them utilize in a different fashion. And this may push us forward a lot quicker than we expected. Yeah, this may turn out to be one of the greatest pandemics that we've ever witnessed, but it also may be one of the greatest social experiments we've ever seen because there's so many things that we can do inside our homes to actually get out there and get in touch with people, much like podcasting. I encourage it. Have a conversation with your significant other. Find something that you enjoy talking about, and it's a great distraction. And it also encourages, I think, you know, for you and I to do these podcasts, we actually, you know, we'll dig on some articles. We'll try and investigate and do a little research. Uh, we'll read a book or we'll listen to a podcast. So it's kind of, uh, I hope it eventually turns out that we actually do enjoy the social interaction in person by the time this whole thing's done. But uh, everybody hang in there out there, take our suggestions, to, don't take them. And if you've got any suggestions, go to bleacherblums.com and get on there and give us some of your suggestions through our mailbag or get on there, order some swag and send us some pictures. Cause we'd love to see your smiling faces and interact in that way too. And that's been a lot of fun for me on Instagram to be able to do that. I've been getting, trying to get fancy. I'll, truth be told, I'm using my daughters as a resource to try and figure out if what I'm doing is cool enough or smart enough. And uh, it's been going very good, but I think this is going to do it for our podcast. And I know I teased it earlier that Tuttle and I are working on something to try and give you a little bit more of us. And we have been in contact with certain people around the industry that we may be trying to investigate doing an, an online video or a YouTube channel or being in a network that actually carries that and helps us facilitate that. So stay tuned for that. Big things happening for Bleacher Blums. And a lot of the reason it is happening is because we want to be on this. We want to be talking to you and you give us fuel to go out there and be better podcasters, if not broadcasters and uh, YouTubers. I don't know if we'll ever get to some of those levels, but we enjoy this and we enjoy the interaction with everybody at home. So stay with us, stay tuned. We'll come at you a little bit more frequently now that we are all locked down at home, but uh, hang in there, get creative with the family, get creative with the kids, do a little TikTok, do an Instagram story and have some fun with it. Tuttle, it is always good to catching up with you. And I think that as far as this podcast, maybe not being as insightful in the sports realm, I think you offered a lot of great content today. So good job on your behalf. And uh, what parting words have you got for the locals who listen to Bleacher Blums? Even though we're not actually sitting in the bleachers with them, we know that we are all in this together. Yeah, Blum are great. I mean, this is a this is a team effort. I really appreciate the banter and, uh, like you said, the content's coming. the The lack of sports out there makes the content easier. We got to come up with things that we're <laughs> doing, and I think next time we'll have to talk about Amazon ordering and having food delivered to the house and things like that. But uh, always great to be with you. Uh, I think big things on the horizon. If you're telling me that we might have a YouTube channel, you mean I have to actually shave, you know, shower and get a haircut before I get on this thing? Oh, I dude. don't know. I didn't I even kinda, think about that. That's a good yeah, point. <laughs> yeah, I'll just I'll stick with my Bleacher Blums hat and maybe hide under that and see if uh, see if the the audience is out there. Um, now more than ever, and I know you're going to touch on this as well. Obviously, first responders, um, emergency uh, personnel, military, and then obviously like doctors, hospitals, anybody out there in the healthcare industry. 
I mean, this this now more than ever, I mean, these are never empty words, especially coming from us, but it's a time to be thankful and grateful that they're out there. I saw a couple Instagram videos yesterday about people saying, you know, hey, it's time off work. It's this, it's that. And right. And they were obviously pointing out the fact that, you know, we don't have time off work. We're here, you know, during quarantine, quarantined or shelter in place situations, wearing a mask and trying to stay healthy, but more importantly, trying to take care of you, um, the population and trying to keep you healthy. And so more than ever, we're super grateful. And hopefully if you guys get on and listen to this podcast, you understand that uh, that's super important to us during a time like this. And Hopefully, uh, this too shall pass, as they say, and uh, we'll get at you uh, sooner than later. And it's been great, Jeff. Thanks. No, that was a hell of a way to finish this entire thing. I think you stated it very appropriately. I believe that Tuttle and I are on the same page as far as we want to flatten this curve. We want to take the spin rate out of this thing and get it done, get it over with. And you're right. We can stay at home as because we are grateful for those who actually go out there. First responders are getting in harm's way. They're keeping us safe while this is going on. But the doctors, nurses, EMTs, anybody that is in that medical industry that is taking care of these people who do have the uh, COVID-19 and are suffering right now, they're doing their best to figure it out. And obviously the scientists, we got to throw them into the group too, because it will rely on their knowledge and their experience to go out there and try and fix this thing and get us right, get us back to being a healthy globe as we go through this thing. So great words from Tuttle. And again, great, great Bleacher Blums. Great to be on with everybody. Hope you're all doing well. Hang in there. But most of all, even during this downtime in your home, get after it. But most of all, believe it. Thank you.